0: So now I I would just ask that you open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Philippians, because that's where we'll be today, and specifically to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. So go ahead and and open your Bibles to that. Uh, In the final section, which is where we're at now, of this letter, or verses 10 through 20 of chapter 4, that's the final section, Paul, The Apostle Paul, who was under house arrest in Rome when he wrote this letter, he, in this final section, acknowledges the financial support that he had recently received from the church at Philippi through one of their faithful members named Epaphroditus, who had traveled all the way from Philippi uh, to Rome with the financial gift. We looked at verses 10 through 14 of that acknowledgement last time, or last Sunday. I hope you got a chance to to view that, or if you didn't catch it on Sunday, hopefully you caught it later in the week uh, uh, through the online website. Uh, But my focus for that section, when we looked at it, as you might remember, if if you did get a chance to view that, was Christian contentment, Christian contentment. In the process of acknowledging the gift, Paul also c- gave important instruction concerning contentment. Contentment is, as we learned, is not to be found in one's various and, and always changing circumstances. But rather, it, it is to be found in one's saving and ongoing union and relationship with the unchanging Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, brothers and sisters the the ability to be content in any and all circumstances, both good and bad circumstances, can and should be found by by focusing on the incredible relationship we have with Jesus Christ. That, that is the bottom line of uh, the sermon from last week. So this is why we talk about, you've heard this before, no doubt, uh, preach, we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself. This is, this is a, a means for focusing in on that incredible relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So preach the gospel to yourself um, or meditate or think on the gospel. That's the idea. Uh, bring these things into your own mind and, and, and think carefully about them and soak in them the truths of the gospel, the truths of your saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill, fill your hearts and minds Okay, fill your hearts and your minds not with junk or all the stuff or so many things that actually bring us harm or do us harm, but fill your hearts and minds with all the hope and promises and privileges and security that your relationship with Christ entitles you to. Fill your minds and your hearts. With that. That is what it is to focus in on that relationship that we have with with Jesus Christ, at least in part. And the challenge for us, beloved, uh, is is not to let our circumstances crowd out our Christ. That's the challenge, that's the temptation. Don't let uh, your circumstances crowd out Christ. Uh, You know, I was just thinking about this more and and thinking about the message from last week and and trying to, as well, live according to um, what the Word says and according to what I'm sharing, have the privilege of sharing with you and teaching you. But uh, an illustration came to my mind of allowing our circumstances to crowd out Christ. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the sun being covered up by the dark clouds, which I I kind of despise, honestly. Uh, I enjoy the sun. I appreciate the sun, but that's probably why that illustration came to mind. It's it's like the sun being covered up by dark clouds when we allow uh, circumstances to crowd out Christ in our hearts and minds. And and the truth is, the sun is still there, right? The sun is still there, but we don't we don't see or benefit from its life sustaining light, or even feel the pleasure of its warmth. And so, we can't. We must not allow. Uh, we must not allow the clouds, if you will, to 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 cover the sun. It's there. We must uh, break through in our minds, uh, removing those circumstances from our minds, not letting that f- consume us, but rather happily and and willingly allowing our hearts and minds to be consumed by christ by christ and all that that means for us as we are united to him by faith and in that we can find contentment regardless of what's going on in our lives or in our world. It's the only way, beloved. It's the Christian way. It's the Christian way. Now, we come to the remainder uh, of Paul's acknowledgement of the gift. I told you last week I would uh, cover the remaining verses today. And uh, I'm choosing to focus on verse 17 for this part of the acknowledgement of the gift. Okay, So you'll see that As we go through it for context, we we will read the entire section just like we did last time, which is verses 10 through 20. And then we will dive into verses 15 through 20. All right. You ready? Okay. Beginning in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length or at last you have revived your concern for me. who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, beloved, those are those are the verses all of them, but now as I said, we'll we're picking up in verse 15. We've already covered verses 10 through 14. So we're picking it up now in verse so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back through the passage, but I'm going to be making comments as I go. I'll do my best to just keep it all together for you. So hopefully uh, it's not distracting to you, but, uh, but helpful to you uh, as we look to understand all that Paul is communicating uh, here. All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. Verse 15. And you... Philippians yourselves know. And you, your Philippians yourselves, no. What what Paul goes pause. What Paul goes on to say here, of course, follows verse 14, right? In verse 14, he says, Yet, okay, I, I'm content. I just want you to know I, I am content. I've learned the secret of contentment. I am content. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And then comes verse 15. And you, your Philippians selves, no. Are you, or you, or you Philippians yourselves, no. What Paul, what Paul does here is he, he continues to make it clear that, and we talked about this last time, that though he was content in his circumstances, and he has learned to be content in any and every circumstance, uh, through his union with and uh, relationship with Jesus Christ and finding uh, strength, in and through him. But what Paul does here is he continues to make it clear that though he was content in his circumstances that does not at all mean that he was not grateful for their help. He still he's still trying to make that point that he that he he's not saying at all that he was not grateful for their help or that their material aid was not important to him or valuable. So he what he does is he, he goes on to point out now, in verse, beginning in verse 15, the very special relationship and partnership that they have had from the very beginning and also commend them for it. One writer says, commentator says, by informing them of his memory of what they already know, Paul emphasizes here how much he values their support. In effect, he's saying, what you yourselves know, I do not and will never forget. It's very valuable to me, this r- relationship that we have had. And Paul will get into that, which includes uh, their financial support in their partnership of, uh, with him in the ministry of the gospel. So... There we go. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel that in the beginning of the gospel pause that is to say in the beginning period of the gospel for the Philippians or at the time when Paul initially came and preached the gospel in Philippi and they had believed and a church was formed that's what he's talking about in the beginning not the beginning of Paul's ministry of preaching the gospel but the beginning of preaching the gospel there in Philippi it is translated this way in the NIV which I, f- I find to be helpful verse 15 translated like this in the NIV 84 moreover as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel okay that's good good translation so And you Philippians yourselves know, verse 15, that in, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, pause, or when I set out from Macedonia. Macedonia, to remind you, was a province of the Roman Empire. Philippi was a city within the province of Macedonia. And so was Thessalonica. Which he goes on to mention in verse 16. So just keep that in mind, which is a city that was about a hundred mile journey for Paul from Philippi, a city that is Thessalonica that Paul visited and preached the gospel in after his time in Philippi. All right? Keep pulling it back together. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, the province, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul had a special relationship, a valued relationship with the church at Philippi. On Paul's second missionary journey and after departing Macedonia, the church at Philippi was the the only one at that time who had entered into partnership with Paul in what he refers to as a, a giving and receiving, a giving and receiving. Uh, let me explain it this way. Other churches had received the benefits of Paul's gospel ministry. But the church in Philippi not only received those benefits, but also actively partnered with Paul and supported him in a number of ways, including financially. Uh, They supported him in the advancement of the gospel. There was a giving and receiving. Benefits, in other words, were mutually given and received between Paul and the church at Philippi, and that was something unique at that time. Alright, you with me so far? <laughs> it's a lot to take in and gather up, but we're, I'm, I'm doing it uh, slowly, so hopefully we can, you can stay on course and keep track. Let me go all the way back in. 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica... You sent me help for my needs once and again. All right, so before Paul had departed the province of Macedonia and made his way to Corinth, and not that and not that long either after he had left the city of Philippi, because that was, you know, the next, as he made his way there after Philippi to Thessalonica, the church was, he's basically saying the church was already, he's pointing out what they already know, the church was already sending him financial support, support that he received, he says, more than once when he was there in the city preaching the gospel there in Thessalonica. So um, that all sets us up for <laughs> what now becomes uh, an attempt to clear up again any misunderstanding uh, that could be have communicated from Paul or misunderstanding on the Philippians' part, in bringing up this history, uh, this special history that they have, and this partnership, and this giving and receiving, and this financial help that they have given to them. So he, he did that on one level to clear up uh, the previous misunderstanding. Look, I'm I am I, appreciative. I spoke about contentment, but that doesn't mean that I don't value this relationship that we have and that I haven't benefited from it. Uh, but now having said that he he just does it again he wants to he wants to make sure there's no misunderstanding so in verse 17 and that's the one I want to focus on a little more than the others he says look back at the text not that I seek the gift and he's talking about the financial help that he has received from the church primarily but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit all right the ESV uh, has a note that says it could also be translated, or the profit that accrues to your account. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accrues to your account. Or uh, you can understand it this way. I seek the benefits that you would receive uh, in regular and increasing amounts to your account. That's what I seek. That's That's what I'm after, not the gift. Uh, the NASB actually puts it, this is another translation of the Bible, it puts verse 17 that way with the word prophet. It says it this, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, the NET adds a few words here, which I want to show you in verse 17, and they add this. It says, you don't have this obviously in front of you, and as I mentioned last week, there's no screens for you to look at right now, so... I'll just just listen. The NET puts verse 17, the first part of verse 17, like this. I do not say this, what he's just been talking about, because I want a gift from you. Right? Uh, or I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. I'm sorry. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Another translation says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. I want you to I want to be clear. I I just got through recalling these things. But I'm not saying this because I'm looking for, for more from you. Uh, the N.A.T. that translates it that way. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Says, not that I'm seeking a gift. The phrase "I do not say this" I do not say this has been supplied in the translation to complete the thought, for the modern reader. The thought is there. That's the idea. When he says, "Not that I seek the gift," I'm not saying this because I'm seeking the gift. All right. Again, this is similar to what occurred in verse 11. In verse 11, you know, in verse go back to verse 10, where he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And again, we know in context, he's talking about um, the fact, he's talking about the gift, the financial gift brought to him by Epaphroditus in the context. And that he is rejoicing in the Lord that, uh this uh in this tangible expression uh in the gift of their renewed revi- uh or again expressed concern for Paul but then he says in verse 11 not that i'm speaking of being in need so i'm not speaking from from want or a sense of need or someone who's rejoicing specifically in the gift itself right and uh, or or from a perspective of i i really needed that money that's what was my entire focus i'm not doing that and he says why I haven't done that why i'm not doing that for i've learned in whatever situation i am to be content i'm i i am content i'm happy uh to see your renewed concern but i am content so he's tr- he's trying to clarify right so one translator says this so he's trying to avoid misunderstandings he's doing the same thing in verse 17 as he did in verse 11 but in both places, he also, he also uh, teaches us something. So, in one translator says this, in both verse 11 and 17, I'm not sorry, translator, commentator, in both verse 11 and 17, Paul recognizes that his preceding words were open to possible uh, misunderstanding. He therefore connects with a strong denial. Uh, the content of each denial is similar. So, Paul does not speak out of need or sense of need, verse 11 nor does he have his heart set on the Philippians' gift. Verse 17, each then is followed by the corrective. So we see in verse 11, he has learned to be content. And the next one, I do not have my heart set on the profit that accrues to your account. In case you were thinking that that's what's going on and why I'm I'm bringing this matter up, I want to make sure that that you understand that is not the case at all. Okay, One writer says this concerning verse 17. I do not mean to convey the idea that I have my heart set on the gift. Basically is what he's saying. He goes on to say a possible misunderstanding, namely that Paul either coveted their gifts or was giving thanks for future favors is anticipated by Paul and then quickly corrected. So basically, one attempt to clear up any misunderstanding from what he had previously, previously said then leads to another attempt on his part to clear up any misunderstanding. I'm bringing up this previous relationship that we've had. I, uh, I want to commend you for it. I, it demonstrates that I value it. Uh, I will never forget it. Uh, clearly, it also demonstrates I've been more than willing to accept your gifts in the past. They have helped me. So I just want to you know, make that clear to you. But now I'm bringing that up, and I'm not bringing it up because I'm looking for more activity in that area. I'm looking that you might uh, send me more financial support. That's, that's not what Paul is doing. And, and, of course, things could be misunderstood. So I would say it this way. He's saying this. Look, to be clear with you, Philippians, I am not trying to get more money out of you. You know, because money is always such a sensitive topic, isn't it? So he's saying, I'm not trying to get more money out of you by by bringing up the the matter of your financial gift. I, and let me just add, besides that, there were many uh, folks going around who were, uh, you know, looking to preach for profit or benefit financially. And he didn't want to be associated with that. He he. He understood that that thinking was out there and there were people doing those kind of things. Uh, But that wasn't Paul. That was not what he was about. It wasn't for personal gain. Uh, He did what he did for the glory of Christ and the gain of others. And regardless of where he found himself, he was content in Christ. So anyway, uh, He's not trying to get more money out of them by bringing up the matter of their f- of you know the financial gift or their history together concerning that matter. That's what he's he wants to be clear. Uh, this is also you know not a an indirect request for more help. In other words, you know I'll bring this up and maybe they'll get the hint that I could sure use some more of that. That's not what he's doing. And he but he but he goes on to tell us. Though, in contrast to that, that what he is seeking—I'm not seeking the gift. I'm not saying this because I seek a gift from you or more from you. But rather, what I do seek—and this is what's so uh, helpful here, I believe—and what I want to focus on, what I do seek, or what I do have my heart set on, okay, is the good fruit or or profit or you could say benefits, even, that you are gaining or are accruing to your account as a result of your sincere and sacrificial and generous giving toward the advancement of the gospel, which is what Paul was all about, and which is why they were supporting Uh, supporting him for that end, to that purpose. So, question, what then is the fruit or profit or benefits being gained uh, for the Philippians that Paul is speaking about? One writer says this, Some believers may have mistakenly assumed that Paul sought gifts, but he clearly stated he sought the blessings, rather, that it would bring to the givers he sought the blessings that it would bring to the givers what blessings what blessings well (laughs) you know if you if you asked a prosperity gospel preacher a false teacher I'm sure they would say financial blessings right they would try to twist this somehow to, to to say that you know Paul Paul sees this relationship as if they give then God will you know pour out on them financially, and so on and so forth, which is just, you know, and and enrich them with monies because they're giving uh, to the ministry. And, of course, false teachers and prosperity gospel teachers, uh, they use that so that they can, you know, get more from their congregants and benefit themselves. So, no, he's not talking about uh, financial blessings. Uh, Rather, he's talking about spiritual blessings, as we see in the context of the letter. I would say it this way, in answer to the question, what is the fruit or profit or benefits being gained for the Philippians that Paul is speaking about, what he has his heart set on, what he seeks? Not the gift, but these gains or these profits or these benefits that are accruing to their account uh, as they give to the work of the Lord in this way. What are they? I would say it this way. I would say it this way. Okay. It is the sanctifying and transforming work that God is doing in their lives and in their hearts and minds through their active partnership with Paul in the gospel ministry. It is that that Paul seeks or has his heart set on. It is that sanctifying, transforming work and benefit that God is bringing into the Philippians' lives through their uh, sacrificial, uh, sincere, and generous giving and, uh, to the work of the gospel ministry as, they give, uh, as as they've been giving to Paul and partnering with Paul in this way. One writer says this, in the context of Paul's entire letter, The term fruit, right, because he seeks the fruit, he says. I don't seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit, which um, increases to your credit. The term fruit, as it's translated in the ESV, points to the blessing which is continually accruing to faithful ministry in the rich development of Christian character. The writer goes on to say this. Listen write this down every act of christian ministry develops and enriches him who perform it S- i'm sorry who performs it let me say it again every act of christian ministry develops and enriches him who performs it that's what paul is speaking to that's uh that's what Paul seeks for his friends, his Christian brothers and sisters at Philippi as he brings up the matter of their financial partnership <coughs> uh, with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. This writer goes on to say, as for example, when he speaks of every act of Christian ministry develops and enriches him who performs it, he says every act of love, <coughs> which this was an act of love, increased their capacity To love more. He goes on to say, Sacrificial gifts produce spiritual growth in the givers. Sacrificial gifts produce spiritual growth in the givers, as well as support for the recipients. In other words, there are benefits for the giver, as well as the recipients. Real benefits accruing to their account, if you will. Uh, to their spiritual well-being, uh, to their conformity to Christ, uh, to the maturity in Christ, uh, to their sanctification, sacrificial giving of this sort, okay, with the proper motivation, changes us. It changes us. It, it transforms us uh, for our good it redirects us it focuses it focuses us (laughs) Uh, on the things that we should be focused on and sacrificing for Uh, in order to uh, to give to the work of ministry and in this case the context is financial but in any case it requires me to say no to something else and to 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 not buy this, or to not give my time to this, and it causes me to to look towards that as being important in my life, and the more you give, the more that occurs, um, you know, th- it makes me think, as I'm processing and working through the passage, thinking about that, basically the, you know, the blessing of giving <laughs> really is what he's talking about, the blessing to the giver. Uh, the spiritual blessing that comes when the giving is sincere and genuine and sacrificial and for the for the right purpose, right? Giving that honors God, giving for the advancement of the things that uh, He wants <laughs> to see advanced, uh, that that He desires to see uh, occur. But it makes me think of Matthew six. You guys know this. I'm th- pretty sure you all know this passage. Um, it's really. Uh, brought up quite a bit. But Matthew 6, specifically verses 19 through 21, you remember these words of Jesus? He says there, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I bet you can almost recite it from memory. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And one commentator commenting on that that last statement, I found it so helpful. He says this. The point is that the things most highly treasured occupy the heart the heart being the center of the personality, embracing mind, emotions, and will. And thus, the most cherished treasure subtly but infallibly controls the whole person's direction and values. What? What? That's, that's so good. Okay what were the philippians treasuring more and more as they partnered with paul in this way right and remember they partnered with paul in this way for the advancement of the gospel what were they what were they treasuring more and more and what was then therefore occupying their heart right it was christ it was it was the gospel it was the good news of salvation it was all of that and all that encompasses that was becoming more and more the focus of their heart and and thereby um the direction of their life and and the thing that they valued and and thought on as they as they gave themselves as they willingly sacrificially gave themselves to that cause, they were, they, were, they were placing their treasures there, and therefore, uh, these things were occupying their heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as a result, their life uh, was becoming more and more about Christ, okay? About Christ uh, and about what he values and he desires, I hope that makes sense. Also, I want to point out that Paul, again, uh, shows himself here to be truly focused on the good of others, right? Uh, which is, listen, it's not, I'm not concerned for me. That's. Don't think for a second that's what's going on here. But I am concerned and caring about you. And so in regard to these things, I... Uh, I care about what I know occurs as a result of your faithful partnership with me in these things. I care about those things because I know it, it'll it have a transforming and sanctifying effect on your life, a good, wholesome, uh, Christ-honoring effect on your life. And that's what I want. I seek, I seek your highest good. You know, and that is, again, a byproduct of, of really a gospel-centered and Christ-centered life, right? Which, that's, that was Paul. Uh, his life was centered on Christ, centered on the cross, centered around the gospel, fixed on these things, consumed with these things. And as a result, um, he lived for the good, he lived for God's glory, and then lived for the good of God's creation, God's, or, or other people. He lived for their good. He sought their best. And it just shows up again. And we can draw uh, from that and learn from that. This is the result of of Paul's uh, Christ-centered heart and mind. This kind of life. Paul goes on to say, uh, further affirming, really, that he's not seeking any gift from the Philippians, that his needs have been amply satisfied by the gift they had provided. And he also, using sacrificial language, uh, points to the incredible value or worth of their gift in the eyes of God. We see that in verse 18. So if you would uh, go back to verse 18. Philippians 14. I have received full payment and more. Another translation, another Bible translates that. I have received everything and I have plenty. I am well supplied, he goes on to say, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, and then now sacrificial language, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. One writer says the imagery here in this last part of verse 18 is that of the burnt offering, which was understood as a a fragrant offering to God. The picture is that of the aroma, if you will, of the sacrificial fire drifting heavenward into into God's nostrils, as it were. Uh, Properly offered, it becomes an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to him. This, Paul says, is what their gift has amounted to from the divine perspective. Wow. Pleasing to God. As the reader's, another writer says, as the reader's financial support was provided to meet the apostle's needs in relation to his preaching the gospel, because that's why they were supporting him. Look, uh, they wanted to support him to give him more time so that he could give more of his time to the work of making Christ known. (laughs) They valued having come to know Christ, they valued this message so much knowing the impact that it had, and the person of the message so much knowing the impact Christ has had on their lives uh that they they wanted others to to know him as well and they wanted uh his fame to increase and therefore they they gave themselves uh financially and prayerfully in many other ways but financially uh for the sake of Paul's ministry so that Paul could Uh, not have to worry about supporting himself as much, you know, doing his tent working ministry and such, trying to, you know, take care of his basic needs because the support, that he would have the support of this church. And then he could just give himself more fully to the work of the ministry. So the writer says, as the reader's financial support was provided to meet the apostles' needs in relation to his preaching the gospel, so it is likened then to an acceptable sacrifice that brings pleasure to God. Because they were supporting the very thing that that delights god they were supporting really the advancement of god's the god's son or the son of god uh they were supporting uh the spread uh of the word concerning uh Christ Jesus the lord right the this is what's pleasing these are the very things that are pleasing to god that they made their lives about that in every way including Financially, not all giving. Let me say, not all giving is pleasing to God, beloved. And because sometimes ta- we need to, we have to use discretion. Sometimes Christians are, or sometimes they don't use discretion, and and they give themselves whether it be time or or financially, and, and it probably happens financially easier because they can just send a check or, well, we don't really write checks anymore, but whatever, you know, they they send money somehow. <laughs> To a work to support something but they haven't they haven't been careful to determine is this a work that actually is pleasing to God and therefore that giving's not ple if it 's not then it's not pleasing to god and so we have to we should be very careful about what we support with the resources that God has provided to us that we have been called to uh, be good managers of right and a good manager does not Spend the money of his master in a way that would displease his master, rather he looks to support uh, the very things his master would want supported right he He looks to get behind those things, and so there's so many frauds out there and and uh fake things pretending to be things of God which are not we need to be very cautious and careful not all giving is pleasing to God but this was in the case of the Philippians who were supporting an apostle of Jesus Christ an authorized representative of the Lord himself all right so that's an easy one (laughs) uh, to figure out one another writer says their contribution was a fragrant offering to God because of its sacrifice its Christian motivation, and its significance to the spread of the gospel. These are the things that Christians uh, should be getting behind and investing in this very thing. Um, Not just their finances, but their very lives, their time, their talents, their treasure, their minds, their hearts, all that they own, giving it to the support of the spread of the gospel. By the way, Paul uses similar language as he does here in Philippians four eighteen. He he uses similar language in Ephesians five two. In Ephesians five two, but there he's speaking about Christ's death for us. He uses the similar language. So as uh, he says in verse eighteen, he says uh, the gifts that the gifts that were brought to him from the church in Philippi by Epaphroditus, He says they were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Listen to what he says in Ephesians five two, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, right? Similar language is used because similar things are, are being spoken of, right? Uh, Christ giving himself up for his people is the gospel. And it is... Uh, It is something that is pleasing to God. It's according to God's uh, perfect and loving plan. It is pleasing to him and therefore it is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And at the same time, the Philippians were uh, not giving their lives up uh, to save sinners. They can't do that because they're sinners themselves. But they are supporting um, the Savior and the spread of of the Savior, if you will. Uh, making that death on behalf of sinners, helping to make that death on behalf of sinners known to the world, as they su- as they financially gave to the, to Paul's ministry of advancing the gospel and church planting, and therefore, uh, their gift, their sacrificial gift, was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God as well. Now look at verse nineteen. If you would, verse nineteen. Philippians 4.19. And then he says, and my God, and my God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My God, if you notice there in verse 19, that's a rare expression uh, for Paul to say my God, personalizing it. One writer says the, I mean, he'll often say God or our God, connecting himself with his, with his readers. Here he says my God. Um, one writer says the addition of the pers- personal pronoun "my," it it stresses the apostle's consciousness of his close personal relationship with God. Paul, he says, had long experienced the divine power to meet all his needs. Right, he's just thinking about that, and my God my need maker, (laughs) or the one who meets, or meter, I should say, the one who meets my needs, and he has done that for so long. He's going to meet your needs too, all your needs too. He goes on to say, he now assures his dear Christian friends that his God will act on his behalf and fully meet their needs. Further, he says, the Philippians had generously sent support to meet Paul's needs. The God whom he serves will fully meet their every need and of course it's not limited to material needs but certainly it would include and probably m- be more about their spiritual needs right he will meet your material and spiritual needs according of course to his timing to his timing his perfect timing another writer says this concerning verse 19 listen one cannot imagine a more fitting way for this letter to conclude in terms of paul's final word to them personally in the midst of their poverty, and we, we, they were not a rich church, they were not a well-off church, right? They struggled financially, and yet they were, uh, they sought to give sacrificially to this work and partnered and made, it, made an effort to partner with Paul in this way. But he says this, in the midst of their poverty, and we learn about that poverty from Second Corinthians 8 two. but in the midst of their poverty, God will richly supply their material needs, okay? In their present suffering, in the face of opposition, we learn about that in the letter from in chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, God will richly supply what is needed, steadfastness, joy, encouragement. In their need to advance in the faith with one mindset, that unity, right, that the letter uh, talks about, comes up again and again in the letter, he says God will richly supply the grace and humility necessary for it. He says further, in the place of both grumbling in 2.14 in the letter and anxiety in chapter 4, verse 6, God will be present with them as the God of peace. My God, Paul says, will act for me in your behalf by filling to the full all your needs. What a beautiful way. What a beautiful way, as the uh, comment scholar says, to close out the letter. Another says this, I'll, I'll uh, leave you with this. The context of this promise, just something to consider, the context of this promise, it deserves careful attention that he's making. Paul spoke to those who actively supported the work of the Lord. He goes on to say, in the context of ministering, being ministered to occurs. In the context of ministering, being ministered to occurs. Things to think about, beloved, things to consider, And Paul says God will meet their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's how it's translated in the ESV in verse 19. And God will meet their needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But another way it could be translated is found both in the NIV and the NIRV. I'll read both to you. Verse 19 in the NIV. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I love the the way that the NIRV translates it. It goes like this. My God will meet all your needs. He will meet them in keeping with his wonderful riches that come to you because you belong to Christ Jesus. And that statement, after Paul (laughs) makes that statement, he just breaks out in praise. That's what verse 20 is. It's a doxology. He just breaks out in praise. It's a a, a brief statement of praise. In verse 20 he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. One writer says, Even the eternal ages yet to come will not be sufficient to exhaust the praises that belong to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, uh, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for for your son, we thank you for Jesus Christ, we thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, the authorized representative of Jesus Christ, uh, we thank you for his ministry, we thank you for uh, his letters that you have uh, seen fit, those inspired letters. That you have seen fit to preserve and incorporate uh, into uh, what we now call the Bible, or a collection of all these inspired uh, writings, and uh, Father, we have we are so blessed by them, and have uh, are being transformed by them, and having our mind and our hearts changed by them, and and so and for the good, for the better, uh, and Father, for that I just. Want to give you praise and thanks, and Father, I I pray that you would continue uh, to work in our hearts and minds. We, as you know, God, we it sometimes takes us, and often I should say, probably takes us uh, several times around to 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 really get it. You know, sometimes we just don't get it all the first time around, and so I pray, Lord, that our our uh, Summit Bible Church would would come back to this letter. I pray that you would prick their heart. Uh, toward that and, and, and encourage them toward that they would not stop reading it because we're going to soon be through with it as far as moving through it verse by verse and section by section but I pray they would just incorporate it into their their daily or weekly or even monthly habit read this letter and not this letter and nothing else but add this to their regular readings and of the scriptures and devotions. I pray that they would read it. What a, what a wonderful and needed letter for us as your followers. And so, Lord, I, I just am grateful and uh, help us. Lord, you know <laughs> uh, we are in need of your help, and we also just express thanks that we can find it uh, in you and in your son, Jesus Christ, who we have relationship with now uh, because of you. And we're so grateful. We ask your blessing on these things. In his name, amen.